Hey, what's up? It's Todd. Yeah, I'm Jimmy. And we are back for another week of stories and songs and general chit-chat. Jimmy? Todd? The, the question that is on my mind and everyone else's mind is tell us about this New Orleans trip. New Orleans trip. Well, I have to tell you up front that uh, I was not ma- able to make it over to Lafayette. Uh, so no the, gator boat? The uh, Southwest flight moved us from... Two o'clock to five o'clock. Uh, so you know the two-hour trip over to Lafayette to eat and you know spend the night and go to the Gators, you know right. Gator Farm or you know go on the Gator didn't boat happen. trip didn't happen. It wasn't just it was a tight weekend because we had to turn around. Not only did they change that, but we were supposed to leave like the last plane out of the city Monday night, but they moved us to first thing Monday morning. Oh, so wow. they robbed us of Monday. Uh, but we didn't want to mess around either because that's this uh, hurricane. Uh, right, I didn't know which way it was going to go. Sandy, yeah. Was Sandy or Sally? Sally, Sally. Yeah. Sandy was up in New York. Yeah. Um, yeah, Sally was head toward New Orleans, so we didn't want to try. It. We didn't want to screw around with it. We just went ahead and took that morning flight. So that really carved away our yeah, it cut way into your time. Way into you got there time. late and left early. Yeah, but the good thing about the hotel we were at, it was the Four Points. Sheraton, which is right on Bourbon and Toulouse Street, mm-hmm. right, right in, right heart of it, heart of it. You walk right out, you're in the middle of Bourbon Street. Tropical Isle is catacorner to you. I mean, you can right. throw a rock at it. And, you know, we get the hand grenades, but it was different this time. I mean, Saturday night at Bourbon Street, you could shoot a cannon right down Bourbon Street and not hit a person. Yeah, I imagine with all the COVID stuff, everybody's. It was okay. Well, first you you had to be, serve food to be open. So right. no hand grenades, all anything that was strictly alcohol right. was not open. No tropical aisle. Um and you had to drink it in, on their premises. You could not walk oh, couldn't back go out. walking around? No, you couldn't go walking oh, no. around. You had to drink it there. So that discouraged sales. And they had to quit serving at ten o'clock. I can only imagine there's just like a bunch of just like really sad guys holding just armfuls of beads, just yeah, Decim- not not a lot decim- of street artists. Just you decimated that the normal. I come yeah. to this every year, and this year I hear, "What am I going to do with all these beads?" Yeah, exactly. It, it was a lot of sober people. Wow. Um, and you know, like it was weird because like House of Blues was, was closed, and right. Tropical Isle was closed. I mean, I'd say a little over half the businesses were open, but you know, you could you could walk in any restaurant without a reservation, just. You know, grab a seat. Right, yeah. It was so easy, even with that fifty percent. Yeah, it was really bizarre. I mean, so, it worked out okay with us because we had Nola with us. Yeah. Um, you know, we got our pictures taken Sunday morning, and little no traffic. You right. know, and got all that taken care of. I did visit um, the building that uh, Little Richard recorded um, all his big hits. Right. Up, it was just I think it was three blocks down Bourbon Street, three blocks up. Real easy walk. Right. Um, I'd say. Like a, I mean, it's a department store, maybe antique store. It wasn't open, probably shut down because of COVID. Right. But, but there was a big plaque, you know, talking about all the artists that uh, recorded there outside that building uh, in that studio. And it was, uh, it was good. That was good. It was really was, nice. It was right across from the Louis Armstrong uh, Park, uh, just right across the street from that. So it was a good neighborhood. Sometimes when you go to historic places like that, there is a magic in the air if you will and energy just a, a sense of 
special stuff is happening or anything like that. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's uh yeah, it's that that's you just have to walk around, you get the vibe of it. Okay. It's nothing you can really describe. It's different in a quarter. Yeah. Um so without that Lafayette trip, uh I did attempt a couple times um to get somebody to say mayonnaise. The way mayonnaise. Mayonnaise yes. may, the way you've been hearing it. And of course you're in New Orleans and the first place I tried was the World War II Museum, which is awesome, by the way. Um, I mean, we could have spent an entire day there. Right. I mean, it, it was like planes and, or was it like? Oh, they like got Pensac- bombers. Like Pensacola's from his- got that Air Force Museum that's got tons of planes and military equipment. Is it something like that? Yeah, they got. Well, they got like, you know, they got like exhibits like the road to Tokyo, the road okay. to Berlin. Right. Um, they got like a snow. Like you're in the, you walk into this huge room. And it's like pines and snow. It's like oh, cool. the Battle of the Bulge. Yeah, walks you through like the, the timeline of the Battle of the Bulge, and you know walks you through the timeline of um, what happened in the Philippines. And it it was neat. It was really neat. I you could like I said there were, I want to say like five buildings dedicated to this oh, museum. Wow. It was all day adventure. And stuff like that is it. It always seems interesting to me. But if I go <coughs> like the one in Pensacola. We'd gone to Gulf Shore for years, and it's an hour drive to Pensacola. And I'd never gone over there. And a couple of years back, some friends that were with us, he likes to go. He likes to go over and see it. So I think it was raining or something. So we went too. And I mean, it's stuff. It's it's weird that I think that oh that'd be cool, but man, I don't know if I want to go. Blah blah blah. But man, when I went over there, it's it's the coolest stuff, man. It's just neat to just walk around and look at all that. It's just. Oh, yeah, and Saturday was a rainy day. So, yeah, yeah, rainy day is perfect. Yeah. And then uh, what about your football game? Where did you end up watching your ball game from? Well, there was a a sports bar right across the street from where we were staying, but it was packed out. I went a block and a half down to uh, 323 Pier Restaurant, I think it was called. Um, It's only because that's a street address is why the 323 was, but... Walked right in, hardly nobody in there. Really? They had tables, like, you can't be at the bar. Oh, okay. But they put tables right up against the bar and turned had TV on, volume on. Oh, cool. Yeah, it was, yeah, watched it there, and Nola got from her nap. They came over, and we ate. Um, had some crawfish, etouffee, I was drinking beer, you know. Right, right. Hmm. But, yeah, it was at the World War II Museum and at this restaurant. I both tried to get people to say mayonnaise. Uh-huh. The way you've been hearing it, and it was mayonnaise both times. Mayonnaise. Mayonnaise. Okay. So mayonnaise. Heavy emphasis on the Y. Well, I mean, uh, oh, the way we say mayonnaise, we don't even say the O. Yeah, I mean, usually. They were saying mayonnaise. Mayonnaise, M A N A I Z E, is, I guess, when I say it or spell it the way I say it normally. Yeah. And they were mayonnaise. Mayonnaise. Okay. Yeah. That's interesting, too. I still like mayonnaise. I don't like mayonnaise. I, I mean, come it, on. It it tickles me. It yeah, but you know, it's not. You don't think of the uh, salad dressing. I uh, maybe maybe not. I, I I think of you know. Uh, All yeah. right. You know. Okay. But and your Saints won, right? Saints won. They beat Tom Brady and the Bucks. It was happy happy days. Yep. Uh, got my picture with random people in the streets. You know, everybody's friendly there. Yeah. Um, you know. People would walk up, like, you know, give cat, 
give Cat a bead or something and ask for money. There was a lot of people asking for oh, money. Oh, a lot of panhandling? Oh, yeah. Like one guy came up, and I was ready for him. He said, um, you know, hey, I, five bucks I could tell you where you got those shoes at. And I said, all my feet. Oh, you're one of them smart ones. Said, you know. So I said, okay, well, five bucks, let me tell you, let me tell you how many, I could tell you how many children your dad had. I was like, all right, I, I haven't heard this one yet. Okay. All right. Uh, your dad didn't have any children. Your mother had them all. Oh, you know? So watch out for that when you're down there in New Orleans. Right. You, know, you get a lot of that stuff, especially the beads. That was a big one. Yeah. But, you know, I, I'm i always prepared. I, I fill my wallet up with ones and fives knowing, you know, you're going to be tipping where you the guy that, like, you know, if you're going to stay at a hotel in the quarter, you're going to pay for parking. You're going to pay for a, a valet. Right. Because parking is just impossible publicly. Um, no, you're going to tip your valets. You're going to tip, uh, you know, your hotel hotel room. You're going to tip. You're going to get beat. You're going to take guy. care of the people that are taking care of you. Yeah. Yeah. You're going to give them ones and fives out of here. Okay. And there. So always be prepared down New Orleans. There you go. Yeah, just, just embrace it. I think that's good travel advice. Just yeah. always have some fives and ones on hand because you're going to you're gonna have folks you want to take care of. Yeah. There's, there's no, you're on vacation. Don't be. Don't be bothered by saying, oh, man, I ain't got no money. It used to get away from me. You know, right. Just embrace it. They're going to be a part of where you're going. Okay. And you, you feel like you're part of the stuff part like of the whole experience. I stuff like that frightens me. What's that? When the, you get those people coming up and begging for money or whatever. Like you say, you just embrace it or whatever. That stuff frightens me. If, if it's, I mean, I get that people need, but just I don't trust anyone, man. Everybody's, everybody's trying to get me to divert to... Stab me is kind of what I always think. Not that I don't ever participate or if I got a dollar, I give him a dollar. But I'm just telling you, man, it's just stuff like that freaks me out, man. Well, there's not a lot of murders in, in, in the French Quarter. Okay. I, mean, I just assume Now, there's other parts of New Orleans that you don't want to be walking right. around with your two-year-old. For sure. But, you, you know, you're pretty safe in the, in the I, quarter. No, I, yeah. Having been there, I get it. But it's just... It's just daytime. Think, I just think in terms of, like, you know, times I've been to Chicago or other big cities or whatever. Oh, yeah, there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But you're saying New Orleans is a whole different animal. It's the big easy. Okay. It's, it, it, you really... It, as long as you're not out past midnight, which is true anywhere you go. Right. I mean, generally, it's pretty safe. Nothing good happens after midnight. Nothing good happens after midnight. So, you know, embrace all that. It's part of the experience. Okay. All right. Well, while you were gone, not much going on around here. It's uh, harvest time, so oh, how mines are going. And yeah, you have to excuse me, people, but this <coughs> this dust is killing me. Yeah, come, come back to this, I immediately got started getting the cold. I took the dog out last night at... It was 11 o'clock, and I could hear it. I couldn't see it or anything, but Combines. I, I could hear combine running 11 o'clock at night, man. Yeah. There. All the corn's coming in right there. now. It's happening. So Yeah, yeah so it's mess, messing me up, messing my wife up. Yeah. Uh, Nola's fine. Yeah, of course. Of course. Oh, and back to New Orleans, I saw your wife posted something. It seems like your daughter really enjoyed the street cleaning of Bourbon Street, the soap and water. Oh, man, it is. a. They flush it out. Well, first yeah. they go around and collect all the... You know, the overnight trash. Right. And they go around clean. Then the suds come out. The suds machines comes out. Yeah. Just floods the street with suds. Yeah. You know, so and she thinks it's a big bubble bath. Right, yeah. Yeah. I wish I had recorded it. It was just, they just, huge amounts of uh, bubble bath water. Did you have to keep her from trying to, was she like trying to go get in it or anything? Oh, absolutely. Or? Oh, yeah. I mean, was, she's all about yeah. puddles. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, she is. Yeah, and I've never seen this stuff, but I'm never up that early. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Normally, you know, I'm out till... 
after you know, midnight. Mid, after midnight or whatever, then waking up at you know mid, noon or eleven yeah. o'clock. So to be up at you know seven o'clock to see all that stuff is it was it was cool. That's cool. <clears throat> all right, different well, experience, Steph, That's for sure. Well, good. I'm glad you had a good trip. I hate that it got cut short and started late, but it sounds like it all worked out for the best. Yeah, so. we made the most of it. It was yeah. okay. Yeah, you really don't need a lot. Of, you know, a couple of days in the quarter, especially. That's, yeah. That's all you need. All right. Well, good, good. I'm glad you had a good trip. Let's get to songs. Yeah, I think you're up, aren't you? I'm up. I'm doing something different this week. I have picked a song that, as you know, there are a lot of popular songs that get remade and redone and cover versions and whatnot. And this is a particular song that there are three specific versions that I'm really a big fan of, and when I sat down to do this song, it was, at first I was going with the original one, but then there were arguments for the other two versions. So I kind of threw caution to the wind and just said, you know what, I'm going to do all three versions and just kind of cram as much into as little time as possible and talk about them all. So the song I've got this week is a classic uh, MC5, Kick Out the Jams. And nice. Uh, again, there's you know there's a number of covers on this thing. One of the you know I remember there was a Pump Up the Volume soundtrack years and years ago. I had a Bad Brains Henry Rollins version on it. There's I mean that's the movie. Are you talking the about movie that? Pump Up the Volume. Yeah, yeah I don't remember that. Can't remember the guy's name, but he was a like a DJ or something. It was out of, from what I remember, but it was decent. But it's it was pretty cool. And then uh, you know this is a song that again it's been around forever. There was a punk documentary on something, maybe a two year or two ago. Mm-hmm. Iggy Pop was a narrator, and it just kind of went through kind of the history of punk rock and the movement and all that stuff. And it was really interesting. But when they got to the MC5, they kind of told this story, and I'll touch on it here. But I'd never heard before, and circled back to listen to the original again, which led uh, to obviously the other versions that I've that I've heard, and, and I'll bring up later on. But Starting with the MC5, which uh, MC stands for Motor City, so the Motor City 5, proto-punk band with Roots and Little Richard and Chuck Berry, their version released in 1969. It was recorded live at Detroit's Grand Ballroom over two nights, uh, Devil's Night and Halloween 1968. Beautiful. So this this album that this appeared on was uh, basically two nights of live performances coming to a record. Uh, I think it's pretty interesting that they picked, you know, Devil's Night, obviously, the night before Halloween, and Halloween is the two nights, so you know the, the energy was probably pretty high on that. So. Oh, yeah. Rolling Stone magazine, originally unfavorable reviews, didn't care much for it, uh, but it is considered an important forerunner to punk music. Uh, Wayne Kramer, the guitarist, said most bands did three albums, then a live album. So we thought we'd be revolutionary and break out with the live album first. So this was their first record, live record recorded over Halloween. Not too many people go there, right? That's strong. Uh, the only other one I could think of is that Guns N' Roses, the Live Like Suicide EP that came oh, out the EP. while they were working on Appetite. Well, now, you know, is that considered like a national I don't, album? Yeah, I don't know if it was or not, but it's that's the only other example of coming out with a live album as your first you know, promotional yeah. piece. So, so, you know, to me that was pretty cool and interesting. And then, uh, I love how the song is a, pl- is a plea to just let them rock out. It, I mean, the whole song is basically, 
let us be who we are. Let us, you know, it's, it's about getting on stage and how everybody reacts and going through that whole process of, of playing a song live to an audience. And, and then at the end of it, they indeed get their wish because they close <laughs> it with, I done kicked him out. Right. And I, th- I think that's great that through the whole song is, let me kick out the jams. And at the end, they just end it with, all right, I done kicked him out. There you have it. Yeah. The one thing that I found in kind of looking through is one of the, as far as the meaning of the song or, or what you want to call it, the, one of the comments was, you know, they'd go see these bands, and at the time it was the kind of the British invasion, and, you know, they would get on stage and they'd play their songs, and there, there wasn't a lot of moving around. It was kind of get up there and play your songs and kind of took themselves kind of seriously and stuff. And, you know, this song was kind of a response to that is, you know, don't if, you, if you're going to play live, don't get up there and just stay in there and do your thing, man. you got to kick out the jams. Right. So that's that's kind of... That was the motivation The motivation it. of it, yeah. Okay. Now, the the version I'm going to put on the Spotify playlist, I looked for it and looked for it and had a hard time finding it, but the original from the record opens up with him kind of talking before the start, song starts and... Kind of at you know right before the song kicks in, ad libs that kick out the jams, motherfuckers, which I'll get into in a moment. Um, in my opinion, it's one of the greatest intros. I mean, it just it's it's fantastic. It's it sets the tone of what you're about to get into. And then radio obviously censored to say kick out the jams, brothers and sisters. You're right. So you know they had to tone that down a little bit. When the record came out, some stores carried two versions. They would keep the censored version on the shelf, the uncensored version behind the counter. So, you know, if you were a square, you'd go buy it off the shelf and you'd get the kick out the jams, brothers and sisters. If you were a hardcore knew what was up, you'd go to the counter and ask for the... the, the Burger chop junkies yeah. knew better. Yep, exactly. Gotcha. And the, the band's label, Electra, even asked the band to put out a censored version. They said no. They weren't going to censor it, but the, you know... Label did it anyway, so looking for record sales. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you see that in rap music too. Oh yeah, you know? yeah. So the interesting part to me about this, and I'd I'd never heard this story, and I caught it when I was watching that documentary about punk. But there was a department store named Hudson's, and they refused to carry the album at all. They wouldn't even carry a censored version. They just wouldn't carry it at all. Very conservative. Yeah. So, basically, that creates tensions between the band and the Hudson chain, as things do. They escalated to the point where, this, and this is fantastic. I think this is brilliant. Okay. So, MC5 takes out a full-page ad in an underground local paper that, according to a gentleman named Danny Fields, quote, was just a picture of Rob Tyner, who's the singer of the band, was just a picture of Rob Tyner, and all it says was, fuck Hudson's. <laughs> <laughs> and they put the record label local on it too without permission so wow so Hudson says we're not carrying your record their response is a full page ad in an underground newspaper that says fuck this department store wow that's sort of like Johnny Cash when he uh, had that middle finger yeah. thing for Nashville yeah that's uh, that's about the exact same spirit there yeah. oh, I can't yeah, so the department store's response to the ad was basically to refuse to carry any album on Electra's label. Oh. So they punished oh. everyone. Oh, boy. To end the conflict, Electra dropped MC5 from their label. Yeah, I mean, you got to have that. You got to have them involved in your sales. I mean, 
MC5 doesn't have, I mean, obviously they weren't the top band at Electric. Right. Oh, yeah. No, just brand, you know, new band, first record and all that. Yeah. So, you know, this in the song itself, it's been taken to be a slogan for the 1960s ethos of revolution and liberation, which kind of falls into this whole category of, you know, that whole taking out the ad in the paper and fighting the department store and, you know, all that stuff, so... Pop Matters reviewer Adam Williams wrote, For my money, kick out the jams. The album is one of the greatest records ever pressed. It's a magnificent time portal into the past, a fleeting glimpse of the band that actually had the balls to walk it like they talked it, and no live recording has captured the primal elements of rock more than the MC5's inaugural effect. And I'm not sure when that review was written, but it's, you know, I'm sure there's probably some... Newer live versions that are, are good as well, but at, for for the time, you know. Oh, the whole yeah, the whole Detroit movement. Yeah. With MC Five and Iggy and the Ted Nugent's first band, yep. everything coming out of Detroit. Yep. Yeah. That's some yeah, that stuff had some balls. Oh yeah. As far as the song "Kick Out the Jams," VH1 named the song uh, the sixty fifth best hard rock song of all time. Sixty fifth. Sixty five, which you know. And then the guitarist for MC5, Wayne Kramer, was quoted as saying, I never tire of playing it. It's exciting every time. Even acoustic. Excitement's built into the song's DNA. There's no way to play that song to be boring. No, that's yeah, great. It's, great. It's a high-energy song. That's, yeah, that's something you do not play acoustically. Well, and, and he said even if you do play it acoustically. And, I mean, yeah, it, it doesn't seem like it would be an acoustic song, but I bet even if you did play it acoustically, it would still kick you in the teeth. Man, I don't know that electrical version. He got. It seems like it needs a big amp. It needs, right. a, it needs to go to eleven. Right. Uh, looking through other stuff, there was a site Song Facts. Took, kind of talked about the song a little bit. There was a comment at the end of the story uh, from a guy named Tom, and it, the comment was the MC5 played at his Catholic high school dance. When they did this song, the intro was "Kick Out the Jams, Mother Superior." Mother which, Superior. Which, you know what? You got to know your audience. You play to the audience. You got you got shot respect. Yep, shot respect. And then a side note that I found kind of interesting, really, is band manager John Sinclair founded what was called the White Panther Party. Not the Black Panthers, the White Panther Party. Is there such thing as is there? There's a, white, a pan- white Panther Party. Yeah, at the time, yeah. I'm not sure if they're still active. Um, it's important to note it was an anti-racist political collective. Formed after an interview uh, with the co-founder of the Black Panther Party, Huey Newton, who asked that they asked him what white people could do to support the Black Panther Black Panthers. His response was they could form a White Panther Party. It's and, and actually I looked through. I'm not going to go into it a lot. So they were endorsed by the Black Panthers. Yeah, it was okay. kind of you know it's everybody. What can what can we do to help? And yeah. his his response was create the White Panthers. And so the band's manager John Sinclair kind of created this White Panther Party and was ahead of it. And it's it, there's a ton of just and I read a bunch of stuff about it. I'm not gonna throw it in here, but it's actually pretty interesting stuff. Kind of like the the history of uh, the activism of the, the museum you went to and stuff. It's stuff like it's it's kind of interesting. Kind of you know where it went. So got you. So yeah, that's MC5 version. Kick out the jams. The second version of Kick Out the Jams I'm going to talk about is a band called Presidents of the United States of America. They did a version in 1995, most notably known for Lump and... Uh, same Peaches. album, right? Same album, yeah, okay. it was on that album. Uh, Lump and Peaches were the big ones. For the Presidents of the United States, formed in Seattle, 1993. 
Their sound was a uh, mixing between groovy rhythm, funny and childish lyrics, and a very specific bass technique and guitar string and guitar string system, which basically was three strings on the bass, three strings on the guitar. Kind of limits your your ability to be a virtuoso. Exactly. Yeah, but creates a very unique. They've they've got a unique sound, and then the description of you know the the funny and childish lyrics. I mean, all those songs are just corny and goofy, and that's true. Meant to be fun, so. Like I said, best known for Lump and Peaches, 1996, MTV aired a previously recorded live concert of the band Presidents of the United States of America from Mount Rushmore on President's Day. Uh, appropriate. Yes, appropriate. Uh, another interesting tidbit about the Presidents of the United States of America band, Cleveland Rocks, which was originally done by Ian Hunter, was used as the theme for the Drew Carey show. Drew Carey show. Ian Hunter, is that... Um uh, all the young dudes, Mata Hoopa. I believe so. I think that's who that is. I believe is. so, yes. Yeah. Uh, now, what's interesting about this President of the United States of America cover of Kick Out the Jams, different lyrics. Yeah. Not the same lyrics. Same, same, you know, music style, same groove, same everything. A little bit faster, a little cornier, cartoonish, if you will. Um, I, I don't get the motivation behind that. Well, I'm going to tell you about it. Okay. So, per Chris, and I'm going to say this wrong, Baloo, I think, who's the vocalist and the bassist, he says, quote, This is a fun sort of Weird Al experiment where I changed all the words to the classic tune and made it our own. I have since become friends with Wayne Kramer, the guitarist for MC5, and he told me that he embraces the cover as an irreverent stepchild of the intent of the original. We open the set with it, and it never disappoints. Well, it's got the riff and everything that makes it big. Yeah, and so even with the different lyrics, he's he's become friends with the guitarist for MC5, and he's kind of given his blessing as a, uh, what I say, a reverent stepchild of the intent of the original. So, as long as he gets his royalties. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. It's usually, yeah. And so, and I, I like the lyrics for the original, but I love the lyrics, especially the opening lyrics for this one. Because, and, and it's, well, I've been elected to rock your asses till midnight. Well, this is my term, and I jammed out my perm, but it's all right. I solemnly swear to uphold the Constitution. Got a rock and roll problem, but we got a solution. Just let me be who I am, and let me kick out the jams. Okay. So, yep. it just, it's something about that speaks to me. And it's, I love that, got a rock and roll problem, but we got a solution. Well, it kind of falls in line with the name of the band, too. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So that's the President's United States of America version of it that uh, kick out the jams that I dig. Lastly, a gentleman named Jeff Buckley did a cover of it in 2001. This this, uh, version of kick out the jams showed up on a legacy edition of his album Grace. When did he pass away? He passed away in 1997. I'd say 2001. I guess the show was, it's an older show. It's an older show, yeah. yeah. It, it, it so wasn't he, released. He, he passed away. That's, okay, you threw me off here. Yeah, well, and I may have the dates wrong too. So, but yeah, I, Well, the live, the live material maybe wasn't issued until 2001. I yeah. got you. Well, Grace originally came out in 1994. Right. And then he died in 97. Yeah, he drowned in the Mississippi drowned River. Drowned in the Mississippi River, okay. yeah. Was wait, was weird waiting for his band to show up and decided to go swimming yeah. in the Mississippi River fully clothed yeah. at night and got caught in the wake of a passing boat and drowned. 
Yeah, it was so, it was a fluke. It was fluke and tragic and everything. Else complete accident. Yep. Um, now Jeff Buckley is the son of singer songwriter Tim Buckley, uh, but says he only met him once at the age of eight, so it wasn't like a father son relationship. relationship deal. Gotcha. Again, lyrics slightly changed from the original MC5 version. There's a few little tweaks in there, but for the most part, it's it's true to the the original. The thing the thing about Jeff Buckley is this. When that album, Grace, came out, 94, Mm -hmm. it grabbed me. It is, to me, you know, we talked about uh, the Chad and Jeremy song and Dick Clark calling it a pretty song or whatever. Right. This this album, front to back, is beautiful. And, you know, I don't know that anybody does it anymore, but years ago you used to do that. If you could only have one record for the, you know, you're trapped on a desert island, what would your one record be or what your one book would be or whatever Mm -hmm. since 1994 when this record came out to today it is constant this Jeff Buckley record Grace is my island record you're not alone with that if I could only have one album for the rest of my life to listen to it would be this record really I love it it is it is it's just a wonderful piece of art what makes it different from the rest I, there's a hauntingness to it. There's it's it's mellow where it needs to be, and it's heavy where it needs to be, and it's I don't know. It's just it's it's just an emotional. Yeah, it just in it, a positive way or negative. Oh, way? positive. I mean, it just touches me. It just it is a beautiful, beautiful record. Hmm. I can't say it enough. I don't know. Yeah, it's just because I've tried listening to it, but I it seems like you get be in a certain mood to listen to it. For me, I, yeah, know. I don't know. I can I can listen to it. Off the original without, you know, this obviously came out with in 2001 with this version on it. But the original record that's just a studio record as it was released in, in 94 mm-hmm. is just a beautiful record. Yeah. It, it, it's And it's 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 got atmosphere and it's got, you know, you, like I said, you got maybe you do got to be in the mood, but I'm always in the mood for it. Well, I guess you heard it in the record store, or what was your first time hearing it? Yeah, I worked at the record store, and it came in, and, you know, we obviously would get little packets of, hey, here's some new records coming out, whatever. Companies would send them to you, get them, get you to play them in the store so you could, you know, push the product or whatever. And right. Man, it was just... And that was your first... God, God when I first heard it, I was like, well, this is amazing. It's just... Yeah, and into this, I mean, I've worn the shit out of the record. But this, his version of Kick Out Jam. His version of Kick Out the Jams. What's that? It wasn't on this album. It wasn't on this album. Okay. But when they re- after he passed away, they released the Legacy Edition, where they you know remastered and added a bunch of bonus tracks because you know he had demo versions and live versions and things like that. Gotcha. So they put you know there were there was one record that was all, I think demo versions that I think Chris Cornell from Soundgarden originally sat down and produced and got things in order for it to be released. <clears throat> and then they released this Legacy Edition with this live version of Kick Out the Jams and, and others on it. So Okay. This version of Kick Out the Jams by Jeff Buckley, to me, is it, it harkens back to the original MC5 version. Yeah. But it turns the knob up on the intensity of the performance of the song. It's Again, it's a live one, just like the, the original was. But it's just a little heavier. It's a little faster. It's a little more frantic. It's just got a, it's just got a little bit more energy than that original. Not to take away from the energy of the, the original version by the MC5, but the Jeff Buckley energy is just like 
It's like comparing mono to stereo. That's yeah, what yeah, it should remind yeah, me of. yeah. Exactly, exactly. That would be good. That'd be a good way to. Uh, it'd be a good way to describe yeah, it. It's a heavy song for Jeff Buckley, from what oh, I've heard. Yeah, from I, I've never heard him this yeah, know, his, almost metal sounding. Yeah, his, this live version of Kick Out the Jams is is very different from everything else he does. Yeah, yeah. It's just just it's good. Yeah. So again, you know, this song to me, it's the ultimate call out song. Whether it be from the MC5, whether it be Jeff Buckley, whether it be President of the United States of America, or whoever else you're listening to, do it. It's it's full of energy, and it's just got that attitude of don't waste my time if you aren't going to give it your all. And it's it's a great pump up song. It's just it gets you going. Oh yeah, it'll always be around. Yeah, classic song. Yep, exactly. So that's my report on my three kick out the jams versions <laughs> for this week because I couldn't be I couldn't decide which one I liked more. Yeah, okay. Well, that explains it, because I was just like, why do you have to talk about three different versions? Because <clears throat> yeah, they all mean something to me. They what? Yeah, yeah. I, and, and like I said, there's there's a ton of other versions. I think Rage Against the Machine's done a version. There's a band called Big F that's done a version. And and they're okay, but it's like, you know. These mean these, some. These three versions of this one song coming up in rotation, if they came up one right after another as I'm shuffling through stuff, I'd listen to all three versions. Because they're just that different. Yeah, they're just that different and they're just that good. Yeah, okay. Yeah, makes sense now that, now that you say it that way. I, I get it. I get it. I get it. You're on board? I'm, bo- I'm on board. I okay. get it. All right. Okay. What do you uh, got? Uh, well, it's, you know, it's fall, Todd. Uh, I saw where it's going to be down in the 40s at night this weekend. Yep. Uh, summer's over. The pool is closed. How's your pool doing? Still open. Still open? 72 degrees. <laughs> you gonna reenact the Titanic? No, it's uh, we got we got closing coming up pretty soon. Yeah, so you know I've already put the you know tarp over mine and did all that action and you know even my playlist is changing. You know songs like you know, songs we've talked about already, like Summertime Girls from Y and T and Jerry Mungo's in the summertime have left the playlist. I'm starting to add more Halloween themed songs. Get pumped pumped up for the next big holiday outside of of course uh the big columbus day um you got big columbus day planned well you know it's working at the arena you know you're downtown where the city is and it's usually a city holiday for whatever reason right you know so it's usually like a quiet day not we're not city so obviously we're working but you know, it's pretty dead downtown. You could you could park right across the street from the door. That's, there you go. That's how I celebrate Columbus That's Day. how you celebrate Yeah, and not get a ticket. Premium you know, parking. Premium parking, all-day parking, you know, without a... Nice. Have to worry about the uh, Judy Hops out there and their little little buggies giving out green tickets. Right. Uh, so, yeah, I'm going to... So, you know, the summer songs are leaving. I'm starting to bring in more the Halloween-type music. <laughs> I got a good one today. This one's from the height of our 80s metal days. I'm talking about the certified platinum single Dream Warriors from the band yes. Dawkins. Rockin' with Dawkins. Or as they say in England, Dawkins. Dawkins. <clears throat> uh, from the Nightmare on Elm Street Part 3 soundtrack featuring the bastard son of a thousand maniacs, Freddy Krueger himself. Came out in 1987. It was written by George Lynch, who is the master guitar player in the band Dawkins and Jeff Pilson, the bass player. Uh, a little background on them. Now, I've talked about George Lynch um, 
and a few episodes ago, one of the early episodes of Ozzy Osbourne right, and yeah. Mark at the Moon. Um, you know, he came over. He was a, basically a standby guitarist for Ozzy after Randy's passing to finish a finish a tour obligation. Um, you know, he's beat out by Jake E. Lee uh, to be the the permanent full time replacement for Randy, simply based on. Ozzy's wife Sharon thought Jake had a better look than George, who was still working as a liquor distributor in L.A. to keep bills paid while he was trying to get a full-time gig as a guitarist. Okay. Uh, Jeff Pilson got the call to play bass for Dawkin after the original bass player, Warren Grosher, um, left to join the band Rat, yeah. which he is still a member of today. I, I, I saw him in the just, Geico just commercial. Just saw him in the commercial. Yeah, yeah. so he's still there with Rat today. Jeff currently is out with Foreigner. He's been with Foreigner for like 15 years now, I think. Really? Yeah, he's been with them that long. He was also the bass player in that uh, the Marky Mark movie about Judas, based on the Judas Priest story. <laughs> oh yes, uh, Rock Star. Rock Star. Yeah. yeah, yeah, he was. Yeah, yeah that was a Jeff Pelson was the bass player in that. Jason Bonham. Jason Bonham was a drummer, and uh, Zach Wild. Zach was the Wild player. before he turned into a Harley Harley Driver looking dude, right? Wasn't he still kind of glam back then? Yeah, I think he was in between. I mean, he wasn't looking all rough with the beard yet, I don't think. <sighs> he might have been. It's been a while since I've seen him. He might have been. Yeah, it's been a long time since I've seen that. But yeah, talk about a dream team there. Except for the Marky Mark front, you know. <laughs> I think he did all right. <clears throat> I had a hard time. It's sort of like that. What was that one with Tom Cruise, that musical? Um, it was based on the hairband music. Oh... I know what she does. It's just like, it's not very sincere. I think they're missing the point yeah, of the like, music. Yeah. There's more to the fashion of it. You yeah, know it was I mean? more about just telling the story of it, yeah. yeah. Like I said, fashion, that's a good way to describe it. Yeah, and people was like, how can you not see that? Man, that's the music from your generation. I was like, it's, yeah, doesn't have any heart, though. They're mocking the yeah. whole point of the music, you yeah. know. We but, took Dawkins seriously, goddammit. <laughs> fucking Dream Warriors, man. Are you kidding me? Don't want to dream no more. <laughs> but anyway. If, if Dawkins not going to save us with Freddy Krueger, who will? Exactly. <clears throat> you know, Jeff and Jeff Pilson and Don Dawkins had a mutual friendship with uh, San Francisco-based uh, Shrapnel Records uh, owner Mike Varney, who was... Uh, uh, famous for discovering the 17 year old Ingve Momstein. That's nice. how Jeff got that gig through a mutual friendship with uh, that record owner, record uh, company owner. Uh, he yeah, he brought Ingve Momstein to the world. Thank um, you. With uh, Ron Keel, hooked him up with Ron yeah. Keel. Yeah. For uh, the band Steeler. Right. You know, early, yeah, early roots of uh, 80s metal there. Ronnie Lee Keel went on to. I guess front the band Keel. Front the band Keel. Last I heard was Ronnie Lee Keel doing some country stuff. Yeah. Years ago, I don't know if he stuck with it. Or yeah, it was. You know, you know, I compare. It's just my own opinion. Okay. But you know, I compare a lot. Now I don't know anymore. It's pre-COVID, but a lot, a lot of the what you call bro country. Yeah. I compare that to a lot of the hair band music of the late 80s simply simply on the fact that that is the part that both the were the party music of that yeah, timeline right and it brought out the girls it brought out yeah. the fashion you know they you know, everybody got dressed up and went to the concerts you know so the bro country to 
country is the poison. Is the glam white snake? Is the gotcha. warrant? Is the gotcha? You know, white lion. That makes and, sense. Yeah, I mean, it's, to me, that's what it is. Subgenre. Subgenre. Yeah, there exactly. Yeah, I, to call that metal is kind of a. Oh yeah. You know what I mean? To, yeah. It had a, always had a hard time with that. I mean, you think? I mean, you got you got Black Sabbath, you got Judas Priest, you got Saxon, you got. All that metal, and you're trying to throw warrant. Got a picture of your house, and you're standing by the door. In with that, I and, like warrant. and Bon Jovi in with that. Right. I mean, they're Bon Jovi was using that as a front to get their music out there. Gotcha. They weren't really metal. You really do got a beef with Bon Jovi. I, I really do not like Bon Jovi. <laughs> you got a really beef with Bon Jovi. Like, I never liked Bon Jovi, and now they're country, just like Ron Keel. You know what? The lines are so skewed right now, man. Half the stuff you hear that's considered country, I would consider pop. Well, yeah. I mean, they're using that style to get yeah. to get to the masses. Yeah. You can't blame them. No, yeah. But, you know, don't don't try to tell me you're country or don't, you know, or metal or whatever. You know. Jimmy takes a stand. <sighs> Not here. Not here. I, I can see right through your lies. <laughs> so anyway... Um, Talking about the song itself, um, for Dream Warriors, the band was asked to write a song for the movie. Uh, they told them the title had to be Dream Warriors. The name for the kids in the film who fight back against the Tormentor, Freddy Krueger, um, they were called the Dream Warriors, these kids. Uh, have you ever seen that movie? Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, the idea of it, it's a little bit of a twist from the rest of them a lot of people think it's the best one but the kids fight back yeah. you know they got the powers in their dreams That's right. That's to uh, go up against freddy it yeah, it's i would say it's my second favorite i still like the original i haven't seen either version for many many years but it's on the to-do list for this year is those are probably the only two i i would sit down and watch simply because the rest of them just kind of Okay, we know what Freddy is, and now yeah. it's just a joke. He's just, just all his little one-liners now. Right. You know how he right before he you know slaughters some some kid, innocent kid, you know, in the dream. Um, so, so I know. Are you a friend? Of, are you a fan of uh, the Freddy and Jason? I could. I mean, I like the plot line. I just couldn't bring myself to watch it. There you go. Yeah, it seems. It, to me, it's like the Alien and Predator. I'm sure they're fine movies, but it's like King Kong versus Godzilla. Yeah, I mean, quit. It's just, just you're, you're stop really making the movie just to make sell, yeah, yeah, make money. Exactly. That's what uh, the way I thought of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but interesting concept. You know, Freddy invades Jason's yeah dreams, but Jason's got his own ability to handle it. You know. Yeah. So the man had this song friendly title. You know, like most like Ghostbusters, they were able to write a big course around it. Now this time, at around this time, docking is starting. Things are starting to unravel between, you know, the band members. Yep. Um, you know, Don uh, came up with his version, wrote his version of his own. Jeff and and uh, George wrote their version, and it, you know, argued about which one was better. You know, according to lead singer Don Dawkins, when the band got the assignment, he wrote his Dream Warriors. Uh, bandmate wrote their wrote theirs. Uh, Don lost. It would have been interesting, you know. He admitted his chorus was "Dream Warriors." We can, we can, hear, we can be heroes inside of our dreams instead of "Dream Warriors." Don't want to dream no more. We can be heroes inside of our dream warriors. We can be heroes inside our dreams. That feels very Kenny Loggins. 
Top Gunny. Well, you can see why he lost. But what's interesting to me is the band's named after him. Yeah, and so why did he lose? Uh, well, because it was, you know, everything was 25, 25, 25, okay. 25. Everybody votes. Everybody has an equal vote. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, no high card, low card, nothing like that. And George, when George Lance in one of his little, he always made, Don never talked about George, but George always talked right. bad about Don. And he said, it's a, I, I learned my lesson, Doc, and don't ever name your name your band um, after the, the least talented person in the band. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Okay. Yeah, lesson learned. Uh, it was recorded at Rumble uh, Recording Studio, owned and operated by Daryl Dragon of Captain in Tennille fame. Nice. He was the captain. Um, nestled in the uh, San Fernando Valley. Valley uh, Today the building is not a recording studio. It's more of a multi-purpose hall used for wedding receptions and bar mitzvahs. I don't think I'll go out of my way to no, visit that. No, I visit that one. Uh, it was recorded there for the soundtrack, and it was touched up and remixed later when the band returned to back to that studio for the follow-up album, Back, to, back for the Attack which is their most successful record to date. Uh, the, the producer, Neil Kernan, who produced uh, albums for for everybody, uh, this guy had a huge list. I mean, anybody from Michael Bolton to Cannibal Corpse, worked on, he worked on over 100 gold and platinum records. Uh, they used 36 tracks to record this one song. Oh, my God. 18 of those were Jeff Pilson's background vocals. Like, you know, when you're toward the end, you think yeah. you hear like a chorus of kids. Right. That's Jeff's voice 18 times. Okay. Yeah. And that interesting. I never knew that. I just thought they found some kids to, you, are, yeah. you know, be the little dream warriors. Um, Jeff saying. But just one. It was just one. Just, just one. It was over little, and over and over. Little Jeff Pilson 18 times. <laughs> little Jeffy Pilson. Army of Pilsons. Um, <laughs> Jeff sang the guide chorus vocals on a scratch t- track that was used um, to build the 18 voice harmony layered uh, constructed later on, later on the tape uh, in a recent interview Don Dawkins admit he can he can't he cannot sing at that high of a note anymore it was tough for him even at the time of the recording right. and he sings really high yeah he's got that high the, the thing that always interested me about Dawkins was the music was heavy yeah but the delivery of the vocals was always very ballady yeah it didn't really match it worked it worked but but it was just so I mean the guitar playing and the, the sound of the music was just so rock and roll let's go get them and very it, feminine vocals yeah. and I mean and you know if you look at there's a ton of their songs that are really love songs I mean it's that seemed to be the central theme about him, so I guess that's why it works with his voice. But, but yeah, it's just, and until I listened to it the other day again, it was just, it never really hit me. It's like, man, these are just two different worlds kind of colliding for this band, and it it works. It was great for the masses. I mean, yeah. you had Don for the girls, you had George for the guys. Yep. Uh, appreciated. Yeah, solid guitar he's play. Yeah, he's, he's got that skeleton guitar. It's oh yeah, that's cool his, shit. Yeah, yeah, definitely. What I dig about the song, the video is fantastic. It's better than the song itself. The video gives the song purpose. I don't think radio play would have given the song its own. Yeah, this yeah. came out at the time when videos were, I mean, you had to have a good video or whatever. And I mean, it definitely did well incorporating stuff from the movie. Uh-oh. My, my, my favorite. Uh-oh. Here my we go. favorite. Part. Here we go. 
Now, my favorite part is at the end of the guitar solo where Freddy grabs him and pulls him into the wall. Spoiler alert. Oh, yeah. Speaking of the video, let's get into that. Uh, In the video, Freddy Krueger is tormenting a young girl named Kristen, played by a young Patricia Arquette. Mm -hmm. This is her debut as an actress. Okay. This movie. Uh, she is eventually saved by the members of Dawkins in this video. Yes, they Not are. the movie, the video. In the video, right. Yeah. Um, their dream power, the Dawkins band, is that their music is able to repel Freddy. Mm-hmm. Freddy then wakes up in his own bed, own bed and screams, revealing the entire video was his own nightmare. He wonders uh, who the band members of Dawkins were. Fantastic storyline for a band like Dawkins. Their power is to repel Freddy. The only the only complaint I have about the video is you know when they're coming down the hall to you know kind of protect her or whatever I don't know why their faces were all painted up white like they were living dead or scare Freddy yeah well come on the music does that you get all made up to scare him the power is the music the power is the music but it's a bit intimidating okay when. That music's coming from these white-faced, uh, okay, zombie-looking guys. All right. Well, you don't you think about the in the movie? I mean, none of the kids are wearing makeup, or you know, they and they, they had, like the who was the one girl that had the? I, I, I haven't seen it for years, dude. Okay, well, I don't want to give away give away anything, but you know, they, they're they they have their own roles, right? Like the role-playing kind of characters that they create, yeah. You know, in their dreams. I think this is Dawkins. Okay. I think that's what, how they see themselves as warriors. I think. I, I, my point is, I think they could have been just as effective without all the, the makeup. Again. Because they were pretty spooky looking as they were coming down the hall at her. Okay. Well, if you could go into your dreams and be a badass, would you just look like yourself, or would you want to look like a real warrior? Wouldn't I? I wouldn't dress up like a ghost. Well, that, that's their choice. See, everybody's got their choice in their dreams. They're controlling what happens in their dreams. They chose wrong. Chose wrong? They chose wrong. Okay. All right. Well, I don't know what to tell you. Again, my favorite part's when George Lynch plays the guitar solo and Freddie comes out of the wall and grabs him and pulls him back in. Okay. Well, let's get to that. Um, there's a little bit of inside story oh. on that particular scene. Um, now, I caught a, in my research here, I caught an interview with George Lynch. It was a 2014 interview, him talking about this video. He's, he, uh, in the interview, he said he was very high, very high <laughs> during the making of that video. Nice. <clears throat> I mean, that, you know, I mean that, that scene where George busts through the wall with his signature skull and bones guitar. Yeah. Okay, that point of entry where George breaks through is what you call a breakaway wall, mm-hmm. I guess, in the Hollywood lingo. But it, you know, it looks like a real wall, but it's designed to where you know the weakest of people could bust through it. Uh, but he was so high and so weak that it took several takes. Uh, it turned out that the actor who played Freddy Krueger, Robert uh, England, mm-hmm. um, you know, out of sight from the producers of the video was uh, using the blades of Freddy Krueger's glove to serve up cocaine to the band members. Shut up. Yeah. He, everybody was high on coke in that video. This is George Lynch saying the story. Out of his own word. Oh out of his own mouth. Oh, my God. So, you know, George is higher than the guy. Wow. 
that's why he's kind of laughing, you know, when he's yeah. playing, you know, because yeah, he does have a weird look on his face. Because he, you know, he's supposed to be kind of scary yeah. or scaring Patricia or I don't know what. Yeah. What the reason is because I thought he was there to save her, but yeah. But she just was. But anyway, so yeah, they were hiring a kite. Um, interesting. That was interesting. But you know, one side note on Dokken in general. You know, Dokken is a. Uh, it, it's it's interesting. You know, I have that five album rule. Right. And docking is interesting because they only had four studio albums in there, you know, from 81 to 87. You know, back back for the attack was the 80s, their real last album. Now, right. they released a fifth album in 1995. Okay. But I don't really consider that to be part of the yeah, it's, catalog, it's you know what I mean? When you think time. of Dawkins. Yeah. It's just... And if they're going to go out and play, they're probably they may touch on a song or two just to kind of yeah. You, think, it. you go see Doc, and there's there's the songs you want to hear, and then you're thinking of Tooth and Nail. You're thinking yeah, of Under Lock and Chains, Key, Breaking the Chains, uh, it's Not Love. Yeah, all the again. hits, all those big hits. Yeah, yeah. I don't think you're including that what's coming off the fifth album. And, the and there's probably you know there's probably a new song that they throw in there and. I'm sure there's people that like that stuff that won't, you know, appreciate hearing it, but yeah. It's, yeah, that's really the When I go see one of those bands, I don't, I could, honestly, I could really care less about any of the new stuff. Yeah, because it's just yeah. so much time had passed between yeah. Back for the Attack and the Monster Rock. See, if I go see ACDC, anything past Thunderstruck, whatever. Sif Upper Lip? Nope. Really? Yeah, eh, no. They probably won't play. They know it's just, it, Dawkins got the same problem ACDC has. Yeah, their heyday is high voltage. Again, play to your audience, man. Razor's Edge. Yeah. Well, I doubt there's a, uh, you know, a what was that Runaway Train? You know, you know how some bands go out and they'll play the entire album. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Judas Priest went out and uh, did British Steel. Yeah, did British Steel. Runaway Train that was Soul Asylum, wasn't it? No, what was. Oh, Black Eyes. That's the album. ACDC. Oh, ACDC Black Eyes. Gotcha. Yeah. Now, doubt they'll play that album in its entirety. Oh, yeah. Ever. Or, you know. Fly on the Wall. <laughs> you know what I mean? People that aren't coming out right. to hear Shake Your Foundation. But, yeah, they're a band, too, that I don't think you could play a whole album in just that because there's so many songs from different But there albums. are signature albums you could do that with. Like ACDC could do Back in Black or Highway to Hell. Yeah, but you're still going to want to hear Dirty Deeds Done Dirt Cheap or Highway to Hell. Well, if, and, if well, well, like, for example, Jesus Priest, I saw saw them in 2000, whatever they, was the 25th, the 25th anniversary of British Steel, so that would have been 2005. They played the entire album, right. track, exact order as the album, and then did like, you know, that's 10 songs. I think he did another 10 songs. It okay. was greatest hits. I'm okay with that. Yeah. I'm okay with that. Yeah. Well, you could, you could do it. Yeah. But yeah, Dawkins, that's my song of the week. Dream Warrior. Don't want to dream no more. All right. Well, that about does it. Yeah. We got Good episode. Got some, some songs to pick from and listen to and movie suggestions if you haven't seen The Nightmare on Elm Street's. I would suggest you start with one and work your way up. That way, you know what's going on. And my question of the week is, if you could control your dreams, and what would you dress yourself up as? as what a, would, if you were a dream warrior. How would you dress? What would your persona be? Would you dress up like Todd and wear a T-shirt and shorts like you do when you're in the normal world? Or would you really get into your role? Okay. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> 
Yeah, so there you go. All right. All right. Uh, again, thanks for listening. Check us out on socials and uh, Spotify playlist, and we'll talk to you later. Thanks a lot. Bye.